Hey Riddles in the Dark listeners, Dave here with a couple of quick audio-related notes before we get started. For one, there's a couple spots where uh, Corey basically completely cuts out for very brief moments of time. Um, sorry, we had connection issues. Uh, they We worked them out um, by the... Uh, you know, for most of the episode, uh, and it didn't seem worthwhile going back and trying to re-record just the little short bit. So we're sorry that those parts are missing, and hopefully it doesn't detract too much from your enjoyment of the episode. Second of all, um, listener Alex pointed out on the Facebook page that there's a little ambient noise coming from my end of things, um, uh, and uh, I just want to apologize, and I promise I will make more of an effort um, to utilize the mute button and to um, minimize the amount of background noise that you get while Corey's talking. All right, let's get on to the show. Good morning, Riddles in the Dark fans. We are back for yet another episode after, well, you got a, you got episodes released relatively steadily, but uh, I, it was in fact a hiatus because I was gone for a few uh, weeks for vacation, but uh, we're back. We've got some serious business to take care of, uh, so uh, we should get right to it. I am uh, one of your co-hosts, Dave Kale, and let me introduce my partner, the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson. Good morning, everybody. Yes, it, it, it is a little bit strange because uh, since Dave was on vacation, we had to pre-record that last episode. So to me, it feels like a really long, you know, I want to say like, you know, welcome back. But of course, yeah, it's uh, it's been kind of normal for everybody else. But I'm eager to get back into talking yes, about things. That is right. So uh, let's let's actually before we um, before we go too far, I think we want to do just a couple of really quick announcements. Um, uh, one is that we just launched our new companion series, uh, if you will, called uh, Riddles in the Dark Digest. Um, these are fun little episodes that, uh, that I'm going to do that will be released approximately bi-weekly alternating with the main episodes that, uh, um, basically review, um, uh, the discussion that our main episodes have generated over the preceding week or more. Um, and in particular, I will be, uh, addressing, um, feedback we get from our listeners and fans, um, and uh, all you smart people that we interact with on the Mythgard page, Facebook, Twitter, and stuff. Uh, and then also um, review the predictions and discussion and arguments that we get from our analysts participating in our prediction game. Um, uh, and, uh, and some of them are kindly sending us content for these episodes, either recordings of them discussing it or um, textual blurbs that I read. So it's basically a good chance to, to hear what other voices have to say, um, uh, including some of our analysts, but also you, the listener. So those are fun little episodes. Yeah, yeah, I, I think this is great. I'm really excited about uh, about this angle of things. This is one of the things that I like best about doing this, is that, of course, like, although it's, you know, sufficiently fun to uh sit around and talk about this stuff uh the really fun thing is to 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 be getting the other people involved and seeing what other people have to say and really making this a wider discussion uh so yeah i'm really excited about that me too um and they're actually kind of fun to do um to sort of go back over everything and remind ourselves what what the the arguments are um and and especially since there's such wide uh perspectives and disagreements amongst our analysts. So um, <laughs> yeah. uh, the other thing uh, that we want to announce is that I don't think I don't think we've decided 
whether it will be two weeks from now or a month from now, but sometime in the month of April, we're going to do the big one. That's right, the split. Where will the split yes. be? Yes, where will the first film end? Exactly. This yes. is the question we've been not exactly avoiding, but we've been kind of waiting to get to, uh, because of course it's a it's a big question. One of the things you know, there have been a lot of topics that people have been interested in hearing us talk about or want to get involved in a conversation about. But we've been trying to restrict our topics of conversation so far to things which are going to be in the first film, um, because of course, like oh, we're going to talk about the second film. But obviously, if we're making a lot of predictions right now in you know March and April of 2012 that won't be confirmed or denied until December 2014. That is a depressingly long amount of time to wait. So we're going to focus on the shorter term and look at this first film first. So, you know, for instance, we had people who wanted to talk about the Arkenstone. I'm really excited to talk about the Arkenstone, but uh, we're probably not going to do that for a little while because we're trying to hold off. Uh, but of course, like, you know, there is this fundamental question. Exactly where does it end? Where do we think is going to that, that that line is going to be? Where exactly should be should we be restricting ourselves to? So uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's definitely something I'm looking forward to kind of hash out yep so uh we're gonna do we're gonna do something my my plan i don't know what it will be yet but we're gonna do something a little bit different for that episode just to make it a little bit more fun either solicit um your feedback listeners beforehand or something so um basically uh keep your eyes open on the the tolkien professor uh and Mythgard facebook pages and twitter accounts for announcements about that yes all right. Um, the next thing we want to do is listener feedback, since it's been piling up and we haven't been able to address it for a month. And there were starting to be um, not complaints, but grumblings on the Mythgard page. Like, <laughs> I don't think they're paying attention. So we are. Um, the first one that I want to – I so to begin with, I want to give you a chance to have a Tolkien professor moment, Corey. Um, uh, yes. One young lady, Kate Nagel, on your Facebook page uh, said – I love listening to you guys in my walks. Yesterday I noticed you kind of elided over the SH of Tukish when talking about Bilbo. Made me wonder if Yiddish were spoken in Middle Earth, who would be the first to make a joke about Bilbo's ancestors? One of the dwarves, a brandy buck, or a tra-la-la elf? <laughs> a tra-la-la elf. Clear. <laughs> yes. Clear. Uh, like they are totally no holds barred when it comes to making fun of people. Uh, so yes, absolutely, no question. A tralala elf. Uh, and uh, uh, Kate's great. She's one of our MythCard students. I know her pretty well. She's uh, she's uh, she's she is fantastic and always asks colorful questions. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one comes from, and this is the one I told you about last night. The next one comes from Stephen A. Simpson, uh, and this was on the MythGuard page. So to those of you commenting on the MythGuard page posts, wondering if we n noticed them, we do. Uh, and we really noticed this one. This is from our friend Stephen Simpson, who had a uh, who has a theory about um, Azog and Thror and Thrine and the Battle of Azanol Bazaar. And uh, I'll paraphrase it here, but basically his theory is that Thror will, you know, not only will there be some conflation between the Battle of Azanolbazar and the five Battle of Five Armies, and some maybe some conflation between Azog and Bolg, but there will also be conflation between Thror and Thrine and the Dwarves. Basically, um, the only t the the uh, the opening scene will be Thror and Thrine escaping from Lonely Mountain during Smog's attack, and that will be the last time that we see Thror. Um, uh, then, uh, and Thrine will somehow get the map during that s sequence. Um, 
the next time we see Thrine will be at the Dungeons of Dol Guldor, where he will be, uh, where Gandalf will have encountered him, and then they will both be attacked by Azog, who's just apparently on a uh, uh, orc captain rotation visiting Dol Guldor, and he will behead <laughs> Thrine in front of Gandalf at the uh, at Dol Guldor, at which time Gandalf will escape with the key and map. Then Azog, who really gets around, will again appear at the Misty Mountains, uh, where they won't manage to kill kill him. And finally, will reappear again at the Battle of Five Armies, and that's where Thorne will finally get his revenge before he is killed himself. What do you think, Corey? I think that this suggestion is horrifying. Um, <laughs> and I find it horrifying because it is sickeningly probable. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, I never would have thought of this. Um, but first of all, one, the one element that, like, as soon as he said it, I am just filled with dread, uh, certainly about my prediction concerning Thror's uh, uh, head. But anyway, uh, I, as soon as he mentioned it, I was like, how probable isn't – I mean, isn't it really probable that they're going to make Thor go down with the ship? You know, that he's going to die at the Lonely Mountain, that he's going to be like the desperate rearguard action and he's going to like give the map or something to Thrain or even to Thorin himself uh, while he like goes back to like fight off the dragon and die. So that the the, the – because, you know, it is a problem – that the loss of the Lonely Mountain, the, I mean, the, you know, what Smaug does, I mean, obviously, like, it's sufficiently bad in the book. It's not like it needs to be worse. But the reason for revenge is a little bit abstract. It's just like they took our home, you know, they, and that's, that's, you know, it's kind of moving and everything. But mightn't in the films, mightn't they want to jack that up a notch by having it like you killed my grandfather? You know, like, I can see it. I can see it. I'm not predicting it, but that element seems to me really, really likely, and that would totally chuck my uh, Minds of Moria fantasies clean out the window. Yeah, I I kind of – I kind of – I also just thinking about – just thinking about it, the idea that there's all these – there's all these old – dwarves that are related to Thorin and that that they are just there's like a multiplicity of them and people might finding them might find them confusing um I could imagine them saying like we need to really kill one of them off right off the bat and not put him back on screen again Uh, I can really see that too um uh oh right are you you still there roar into Elendil basically like how they handled Elendil in the film Hmm. Hey Corey, do you want to? Yep, uh, do you um, want yeah, to? My, my connection. This was. Yeah, I was just thinking that. All right, we're going to take a quick. Why don't I uh, disconnect and reconnect? See if we can get a better connection here. Yeah, call me back. Okay. All right. Let's see if this is a little bit better. Okay, good. Uh, so far, so good. Um, yeah, so I, I, I agree. The multiplicity of dwarves question is an issue. Now, you know, one thing that's very clear from everything we've gotten, I mean, long before the trailer or anything was released, just for, when they started releasing the still pictures of the dwarves, it was very clear that one of the efforts that Peter Jackson is, is doing, you know, is, is he's put, what he's putting forth a lot of effort towards is making the dwarves individualistic so that 
they're not just this thir- you know massive thirteen dwarves. Um, so yeah, I mean, is he going to go the extra distance to be like, oh, and also here's Thror and Thryon. I, you know, could he in some sense conflate those two characters, or at least you know, take the actions of uh, and the whole like wandering Azog thing. You know, again, I find it horrifyingly plausible because, of course, that would make him into essentially um, that that would make him into essentially a, uh, a, a you know a recurring villain, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know you can see how that would be really compelling for a uh, for, yeah, for I'm, you know I, the I, film structure. I, I, yeah, th- this has conjured in my mind visions of Azog following along behind them, dogging their every step. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like on the one hand, the full version of that seems a little hokey. You know, I mean, if if he were really to pop up every time they turned around. Um, then I think that could that could like devolve into comedy, which presumably they wouldn't want in that context. But uh, but you know, but basically to make him the recurring villain, like you know, uh, you know, and therefore have a like you know, you killed my father, prepared to die moment at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, I can I can this I can see this I can see again. It's I find it I do find it chillingly plausible that at least some elements of that theory. Could well turn out to be true, and you know, like I should, you know, and I should say, like I, the the language I keep using about this, like horrifying, and yeah, ominous, and like that, <laughs> ominous, like it's it. This is, you know, I only say this because, and this is one of the reasons why I'm not a filmmaker. I could never do it. I could never do it. Like I know that, like the the kinds of things you have to do in adapting storytelling to the film genre are things that would break my heart. Like I, I don't think I could do it. Um, yes. So, like, We're, as someone who just loves these stories and doesn't want to lose any element of it, like, I, you know, I, I, I'm capable of appreciating and enjoying different versions of the story. But looking at it from this side and imagining, like, the story, it just – at this point, it feels – the the contemplation of it merely feels like a loss, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, whereas – because we're not in the process of enjoying and appreciating the story as it – you know, is going to unfold. So it may well be excellent. It probably, you know, who knows? Maybe that, maybe that version would make, would make a far better film story uh, than the version that I would quite like to see. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, I agree. You know. uh, we're, we're, we, we use the negative lingo because uh, out of, you know, humor <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, uh, and, and this is going to be sort of our little, our little shtick, but we're not actually that negative. <laughs> No, I mean it's like I said, it could be fine, but but yes, the uh, the the lover of these stories in me certainly hopes because see, Thror in the books one of the one of the important things about Thror is I mean he is the patriarchal character. Um, if anything, actually, Thryon is the more minor one of the two. Um, I think because of course Thror's name is attached to things like the map. Uh, you know, and uh, and uh, you know, so like it's. He is, you know, the, the, this this figure of antiquity. He is he is the sort of the connection back through Thror and ultimately back to Durin that gives Thorin this stature. You know that he is part. You know, in the way that we are invited through the books to picture Thorin as you know the the 
the wandering heir of this, you know, of this disinherited but but ancient and noble family. Thrawn is a big part of that, you know, and so that's why I would feel it. That's why I, you know, from here, I would feel it as a loss, even if I understood it. Because I mean, th- there are things, there are things that I would say are even true, you know, th- that are true that way of the Lord of the Rings films. Not that we want to get into a long discussion of that, but I mean, there are many things that I miss in the films that I think are a loss when I just think of the story objectively. They work fine in the films, but, um, but, but, but there are still, you know, elements. You miss them nonetheless. Exactly. Just as a as as. As a lover of those story elements, I miss them when they're not there. Yeah. So I would miss Thror if he were gone. Um, but yes, so but I, I certainly can see the argument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so another piece of uh, feedback we got on the Mythgard page from Jason, who happens to be a fellow podcaster from the Utini Cast O O T I N I Cast dot com, which is, I believe, a Star Wars: The Old Republic MMORPG focused podcast utini being the sound that the jawas make um Uh, of course yes i thought you might catch that so uh this is another tolkien professor moment uh he mentions it was brought up in the show that frodo's appearance was chosen to be younger than his actual age i didn't notice because i expected him to be uh, to look young at least as young as mary and pippin do the effects of the ring yada 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 and i know that you wanted to address this point yeah, yeah, I think that there was I, I, from from comments we've gotten. I think that there's been a little bit of misunderstanding about uh, our references to the alteration, which I called one of the biggest alter, one of the biggest sort of character alterations in Frodo's character. No, I, I would say the biggest alteration in Frodo's character mm-hmm. is the fact that they make him young. And my point there is not about his appearance. Yes, it's true. As soon as he gets the ring, he begins to, uh, you know, he begins to show signs of good preservation, and he doesn't seem to age. But Two things. First of all, he's 33 when he gets the ring. He has come of age. Um, Elijah Wood looked like a teenager, probably because he was a teenager (laughs) when it was being filmed. Um, That is, he looks young. If you just look at the bunch of them together, uh, that is the four hobbits in the film, Frodo looks the youngest there. And... The way he acts is also that way. Frodo was the oldest, significantly the oldest. He was 50 at the beginning of the quest. So, so the, 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 the first point is the simple fact that in the film they do – there are uh, – yes, he looks young. But 17 years pass between when he gets the ring and when he sets out on his quest. And that 17 years vanishes in the films. And so it's not just for the sake of we got to speed this up so we can get the, the story moving. It has a profound character impact because Frodo is no longer – as he is in the book, the senior statesman among the hobbits. He is the clear leader because he is the senior, he is the most experienced, he is the most mature of all of them. And you can see clearly, for instance, in the book, this is one of the reasons for the, the demonstrable maturity difference between, say, Frodo and Pippin. Because Pippin is very young. Pippin is almost half Frodo's age. Just over half. He's 28 and Frodo is 50. So uh, this is a huge difference. There's an almost gener- there's ba- essentially a generational gap between Frodo and the other hobbits. You don't get any glimpse of that there is a, no matter how he looks that there's a generational gap. So it, so it's again you know I'm not saying like you know it's wrong or anything like they knew that they were doing this. Um 
Uh, and it was it was a deliberate choice on their part, and that's fine. But I would just say, like, but that, but that was the point that I was trying to make. That it's a very significant choice to recontextualize Frodo as not only a young, appearing, mature person, but a genuinely young, inexperienced, and naive person. And that really changes his whole character trajectory over the course of the story as it's told in the films, compared to the story as it's told in the Lord of the Rings. Frodo is not a coming of age story in the books. Uh, you know, he changes and he grows and he develops. Um, he becomes one of the wise, one of the great, as Sauron's, as Saruman says bitterly in Bag End at the very end of the Return of the King. Um, but, but you know, he's he's. But it's not like a growing up thing that he's doing, and that's a, that's a really significant change. So that's in the context of our last episode when I was talking about Thorin. That's what I think is really interesting that they seem to be doing a similar kind of thing here. That is in choosing to make him not. 200 years old, but instead, I don't know how old he actually is, but anyway, he appears much younger. Um, I think that they're going to, I mean, if, if Thorin were white bearded in the film, mm-hmm. I mean, if they were to slap a white beard on Richard Armitage, it would really change the whole, I think, the starting point. It would clearly change the starting point of his whole character trajectory. So that's what I was sort of speculating about last time, that the fact that we have a young appearing Thorin is I think going to make a is at least has the potential uh, to uh, to give us some some hints about the kind of character trajectory that he's likely to get. So, yep. Anyway, so yeah, I just wanted to explain that bit about Frodo's age, especially. <laughs> okay, next one uh, and last uh, one we're gonna do uh, is from Facebook. Um, Matthew Hershenschroeder, Hershenroeder, I think. Sorry, Matthew, if I butchered your last name. He had a comment on the split, which, of course, we're going to address in full um, in an upcoming episode. But I thought we would just comment on this com- this suggestion. Um, basically, to to paraphrase, he proposes that they might split the movies thematically rather than chronologically. Um, uh, essentially that one, the, the first movie would be basically the Hobbit. The second movie would be all the additional, um, uh, pieces that, uh, they're drawing from the other apocryphal sources, uh, to tell the larger story. Um, that the first one would be Bilbo telling Frodo, this is the real story of how I found the ring. The second one would be, um, uh, maybe even the second one would essentially be the quest of Erebor story, where you start with, I guess, uh, Frodo uh, in in Minas Tirith um, asking Gandalf, "Why on earth did you send Bilbo on that adventure?" He says he he thought he heard a rumor about this in the early stages of the development of the script, um, and I'm curious to know what you think. I don't think um, I don't think that this. I'm guessing this is not going to be the case. I don't. I don't think this would work too well. I think uh, your average over ever, um, average film going non major Tolkien fan would uh, be totally confused. But uh, it's an interesting notion. It is an interesting notion. I mean, I basically, I, I think I have pretty much the same reaction. I, I, I find it very implausible that they would actually do it. I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, I, I would, I would be interested to see such a film, <laughs> but, but I agree. I think it would appeal to a much smaller market, especially thinking back over the Lord of the Rings and how they did that. Um, you know, Tolkien, of course, in his narrative, proceeds not exactly thematically, but he proceeds in, 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 in like different threads right so you've got um 
you know, book three, that is the first half of the Two Towers, which follows Legolas and Gimli and Aragorn, and then Gandalf, of course, and Merry and Pippin, um, going back between them, and, uh, you know, culminating at Helm's Deep and then at Isengard. While, meanwhile, Frodo and Sam have been doing something else, which we hear nothing about until book four, and then book four follows them all the way through. So we kind of go backwards in time a little bit, and then by the end of book four with Frodo and Sam, they're already past the point where uh, we ended book three, and then we jump backwards again to, to, to get out. You know, so that's, that's, that, that's how Tolkien proceeds, which is not uh, chronologically, but they, they made the choice, and it was a very um, – it was a very firm choice in the first films not to proceed that way, not to just follow particular threads or particular themes, but instead to give a sense of what is happening contemporaneously everywhere. So that's why they keep jumping from Frodo and Sam back to Minas Tirith, back over to Frodo and Sam, you know, up to Rohan. Um, this is, this is, that, that's just sort of the, the way that they did it. And it's a little hard for me to imagine them not doing it that way, um, especially since, You've got the two stories that are being coordinated, and uh, you know again the the, the 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 clearest thing about the material they're adding that isn't in the book itself is the White Council stuff. You know the the necromancer, the Gandalf, Galadriel, and Elrond stuff. Um, that's been really clear ever since they cast Kate Blanchett. It was obvious that they were going to be doing this, that they're going to be spending a lot more time looking at the drama of the White Castle and its offensive against Sauron. Um, who's still disguised as the necromancer. And so the timing of that with the quest of Bilbo and the dwarves is, I think, going to be important in order to build an overall uh, an, an overall kind of dramatic arc to the to the story, um, and I think you know one of the big challenges is going to be to to coordinate those two things. There was a there was an obvious coordination between the quest of the ring bearers part of the Lord of the Rings and the War of the Ring part of the of the Lord of the Rings, um, because of course they rely on each other until you finally get the culmination where the ring is destroyed just in time to keep the armies from all being squashed like bugs before the Black Gate, um, and of course the advance of the Black Gate in order to draw the attention of Sauron away from the ring bears to enable them. So the, the sort of the coordination of those two plots was really clear. The coordination mm -hmm. of the necromancer plot, the necromancer slash white council plot in the Hobbit with the quest for Erebor plot is less obvious because mm -hmm. the two of them are not linked in any direct way. Um, at least not in the books, not in, you know, there's, is it a coincidence? No, you know, Gandalf does not suggest that it's just a coincidence that all that happened at the same time. In particular, the finding of the ring. However, again, there's not a clear, direct link between them like there was in The Lord of the Rings. So therefore, the balance, I think, is going to be uh, challenging for them to achieve because they're going to have to be connecting them. Um, but but it's for that reason, if they did separate them the way that, uh, that, that Matthew's suggesting, which, again, I, I find a really interesting idea. But if they did, it would really just sound like two stories which might have little to do with each other. And, and since they're already going to have a hard time doing that, I don't see them – um, basically trying to do that with one hand behind their back. I well, think by by chronologically juxtaposing them, they can build connection even where there isn't any. Um, and I think that they would take advantage of that. Yeah, and I think the the major danger, just practically speaking, is that nobody would go watch the second movie. <laughs> People <laughs> right. would be like, well, that was The Hobbit. <laughs> right. And and they would be and if they did they wouldn't like it because there wouldn't be any hobbits or any of that stuff it would just be it'd be a lot of uh, um, 
Gandalf sitting around debating with Saruman and uh, Gladril over what to do, and it wouldn't be particularly interesting. So, <laughs> right, right, yes, exactly. Oh, I should, I should add like a a, a real time correction here. I was just uh, noticing on Twitter uh, that Eloriel has uh, pointed out that I said 2014 about the second film, which is making her very sad. I meant 2013. It just feels like forever from now. So, uh, so yeah, so that was. <laughs> So that was a. That was, I'm not. I'm not suggesting the second. The films are going to be delayed. Um, I'm just saying that that the second film seems like the infinite future from now. So that's hilarious. Anyway, sorry. Thank <laughs> you for that real time correction. Um, okay, <laughs> two last pieces of use, of listener feedback, um, uh, which I just want to mention. Uh, there was a wonderful discussion between Sarah and Fairund and a few others about the Frodo Bilbo framing device and how that will be used. I think that warrants an episode um, later. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, and then there was also a really, really, I loved, I loved it, uh, conversation about music <laughs> and, 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 uh, and its relationship to humor a little bit. That definitely warrants at least one episode later on. I think yeah. we're going to definitely yeah. spend some time on, on the songs of the Hobbit because I know you love them. And then uh, I was going to say, don't think we're going to get away without talking about poetry. Yes. Um, and yes, that really yes. deserves some predictions about whether those, which, mm-hmm. which songs will show up and in what form. So we promise we will get yeah. to those. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's. Yes. And the vexed tralalalali question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, looking yeah, increasingly yeah. unlikely based on the footage we've seen, I, but I hold out hope. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I've, I've, uh, long since given up hope. In fact, it's like you know when I first heard about the, I've said this before. When I first heard you know the announcement of the Fellowship of the Ring film, the very first thought that crossed my mind was they're going to cut Tom Bombadil. Similarly, uh, you know, like the very first thing, my very first thought about the Hobbit film when I heard about it was, yeah, well they're not going to do Tra La La Lolly. I mean, that's pretty clear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're not going to hear any elves saying, tra- or, or if they, you know, like maybe as like a kind of inside joke, they will have. You know, some kind of ethereal Enya type, you know, w- with like the lyrics that say, you know, that, like a, tra- a a ghostly tra-la-la or something in the background. But it is certainly not going to be the kind of spirit of the tra-la-la Yeah, actually, song. that could be hilarious if they did, uh, did yes. the, the, the yes. Enya Gregorian chant, but they did it in <laughs> – yes. they, they could do it in, uh, in Elvish so that we have to go and <laughs> right. translate it and we'll be like, oh, they did it. Right, it translates to tra-la-la-lolly here down in the valley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could totally see that happening. Yeah. And if it did, I would laugh. But uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. All anyway, right. But here I am digressing. So let's uh, move yes, on to – certainly, definitely an episode there. Yes. So let's move on to, to analyst feedback. Um, there's just a couple of things from our analyst stuff that – um, uh, I wanted to mention to you that I thought you enjoy. One is um, Golden Star from uh, Casual Stroll to Mordor proposed one. Like I, I don't think I heard anyone else propose this possibility, but that the opening sequence of the film, since nearly everyone thinks they're going to be some kind of of epic narrative monologue flashback thing, uh, right. she proposed that that would it would be Gandalf sneaking into Dol Guldur and acquiring the map and key from Thrain. So not Smog attacking the mountain, not Battle of Azanol, Bazaar, Thror, or any of that. Uh, that's that's really an interesting cool. idea. 
you know, I, I, that's, I, 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 I said something like that, I don't know when it was, a long time ago. But that's exactly like, if I were doing it, I would totally have, like, the opening sequence be, you know, Gandalf in a sort of a quasi-Middle-Earth, like, James Bond sequence, breaking into Dol Guldur. That's totally how I would do the opening credits, too. I absolutely agree. That would be awesome. I don't think it's going to happen. But it would be awesome. It would be awesome. <laughs> it would be pretty awesome. Gandalf undercover in Dol Guldur. Absolutely how I would start the film. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, um, <laughs> Golden Star Merrick, this is back from our very first episode. Also, uh, 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 when they first sent over their theories, they also included—I don't know if you saw it—but they included a uh, uh, a humorous one that was basically Thorn in the plot of Back to the Future. Uh, it was <laughs> it was uh, Gandalf having a plan that involved getting sh- uh, Shadow Fax's like father or something up to eighty-eight miles an hour to go back in time. <laughs> And then the orcs show up and kill Gandalf, and Thorin, Thorin takes, uh, runs away on the horse and then accidentally gets up to 88 miles an hour goes back in time. And then he uh, has to try and reunite his parents at the, the uh, uh, under-the-mountain um, uh, dance and make sure that the necromancer doesn't erase him from the future. <laughs> that um, seems unlikely. But, uh... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, actually, you know, though it raises an interesting question. You said his parents. Yes. Will we see any female dwarves? Yes, that is a really good question. Will a female dwarf appear on screen? I'm going to go with yes, actually. But um, I think uh, you're right. I think this is their last chance to really do it. So that's their only chance. And the attack on the attack on on Erebor by Smaug, like having some dwarf women running around in panic while everybody is running around in panic, would be the moment, right? I mean, that would be the clearly there were females in in Erebor. Uh, so uh, the but. Um, but yeah, yeah. So no, that's a that's a great that's a great uh, that that would be that would be interesting. Or like Thorin's sister, Dees, the only named female dwarf. Oh, uh, she has to be in there, right? In the entire Tolkien corpus, we get like Feely and Keeley's mom. You know, like that. Yeah, come on, that'd be that'd be awesome. But we'll see. Yes. Um, finally, um, I just wanted to let you know, Corey. We keep joking about your optimism. I noticed, looking back over the predictions, Mark Fisher from Encyclopedia of Arda has predicted A every time. And (laughs) I I think A every time has been the – I think they'll do it exactly as it's in the book. book. Yeah. Hey, you know, look, I'm totally sympathetic, and I'm glad to hear that there's somebody who's more optimistic than I am Um, uh, because that's unusual. So, so excellent. excellent. I know. I have great I, sympathy with his position. And and his his points are always they're not sentimental drivel. They're always well reasoned. Yeah. It's always like you know I just don't think I think that the in order to deliver the story properly, I have to do X, Y, and Z. I'm like well, that's a he, Mark is by far was a was a fantastic addition to the game. He always sends yeah. excellent stuff. So yeah, no, that's great. By no, the way, I have, uh, I have great sympathy for this. I. I I hope he wins. That's all I say. I hope he wins. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> we got some. We got an. I just wanted to mention Aloriel on Twitter asked if we see a female dwarf on screen, will we know? <laughs> well, that's the challenge, of course. You know, especially since he set that up as a as a that is Peter Jackson set that up as a gag line in the Lord of the Rings films about the, you know with the beards and everything. Um, that uh, you know, but but see, but honestly, that's actually why I think we will because he's sort of created this like inside joke and this. Uh, but at the same time, do you want comedy in the middle of the like destruction of Erebor? <laughs> I don't 
to the audience laughing as the dwarves are like screaming and dying at the beginning of the film if that's when it happens. So, um, so it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But I, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard. I, 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 I kind of feel like he'd be backing down at this point. If yes. Show Maybe it'll be an Easter egg that you won't know until you've watched it the fourth yeah, it's time possible. through. It's so. possible. You know, that like we can like, did you spot the female dwarf? I think that that could totally uh, be yeah. a thing. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of humor, let's get to this week's topic. Um, yes. We're, this is going to be the first, uh, first, this is, we're unofficially branding this one and we will, we will do this more formally like in a couple of months when we get our, when we figure out this, this whole thing. But this is going to be the first of what we're referring to as our bomber and buffoonery series, which is going to be focused on, um, humor in The Hobbit and how this will make the transition to the screen in the films. Um, and when I say series, I don't mean that the next four episodes will be on humor. I mean, these series are going to be spread, like, we're, we're going to have a whole bunch of these series going on, like, series on main characters and series on dwarf backstory. And basically, yeah. as the topics come to us and we decide to do them, we'll decide, like, oh, this is the next episode in our series. So this is the first humor one. I'm not saying the next three weeks will be humor. We're, we're yeah. going to be doing humor for the next two years, I'm sure. Yeah, no, this is, this is, uh, this is a major theme. So yeah, there are several, like, ma you know, major topics that we're going to want to talk about over many different episodes and look at many different aspects of. And this is, I think, you know, one of the biggest things. I mean, the people who have listened to my Hobbit series might remember that in Hobbit lecture number one, which was the second podcast episode I ever posted on my, on my feed, a lecture I wrote back in 2007, by the way. It's ancient now. Um, so it was 2007, so there were only just rumors. This is while there was still an injunction against the, against the Hobbit film by the Tolkien estate. Uh, we're talking ancient, ancient history. Um, and at that point... My first comment about it was that, you know, I've heard that they're talking about doing a Hobbit film, and I think a really big challenge is going to be what, how are they going to handle the tone? Um, you know, how are you going to have, like, an epic sequel to The Lord of the Rings? Um, and I mean sequel as far as, you know, a, a, a film following up, while still, you know, without just completely departing from the really lighthearted and comical tone of the book. And so, I mean, I think that this is, this is a really, this is this, you know, this was one of the things that I certainly conceived of as one of the prime primary challenges of trying to translate the Hobbit to film. And it seems based upon stuff that we've seen that they are not going to, that, that they are going to try to, they're not just departing from that, that they are going to try to keep some of the, some of the fun and lightheartedness of the book, even though they are putting it, you know, in the larger epic scope, as we've been talking about, and and which makes sense because again, as as I've said, Tolkien did that, put it, uh, put the story of the Hobbit in the larger epic context, uh, you know, after he wrote the Lord of the Rings. So, but but yeah, so so basically, there are lots of different ways that we can kind of talk about this, and lots of different issues. How are they going to represent Bilbo and the ways in which he is very comical in the books? How are they? You know, Bomber is 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 sort of our poster child for buffoonery in The Hobbit, uh, mostly because it alliterates, but also because I mean, he re he is one of the most consistently uh, comical characters. That we, you know, he's he he is. Uh, he is the one in the book who does provide comic relief. Yes. And also um, because there's the scene in the trailer that has him sitting on a chair, a table that uh, collapses beneath his weight. So there's already an indication he'll be uh, comedic relief in the films. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I do think that um, 
anyway, so so yeah, so that's why we've chosen Bomber as our as our as our poster child for buffoonery. But uh, but anyway, so yeah, so our topic, our specific angle that we want to take on this question today is the trolls. And this is a question that uh, was asked uh, of us on on Twitter, uh, you know, way back after our first episode. And it's certainly something that I'm interested to say. And it, to me, makes a very interesting case study about the whole tone question. Because, of course, the trolls in the books are quite silly. You know, they are, they are, they are, I mean, there's something which even Tolkien himself had to kind of, well, not exactly justify but had to had to work in. They are such a departure from trolls as he comes to depict them and wants to depict them in the Lord of the Rings, um, because they're, you know, they're, they they speak with Cockney accents. They call each other silly names. They, but at the same time, you know, the thing that I would emphasize, as I emphasized in my Hobbit lecture on the troll chapter, Tolkien doesn't just make them silly. They're slapstick characters, but they're not only slapstick characters. They're slapstick characters who have, in fact, consumed a village and a half worth of people. I mean, they are murderers. They have victims, victims whose clothes the dwarves find hanging in their cave, right? So we're reminded about the human beings that they have actually murdered and eaten. So it's it actually is kind of horrifying, um, but... It's one of the places that that I always point to when I'm talking about the Hobbit as one of the examples of how where we can see Tolkien really being careful in the application of his tone to basically present a, a subject which is serious and which is scary, um, but to be kind of diffusing that with comedy so that it's not just horrifying, that it's not just overwhelming for the young children for whom this book was intended. Um, so I think that we can see a balance between those two things between those two things in the book. But when you just look at the trolls as they're depicted in the books and, uh, and think about what that's going to, what that would look like in the film, uh, it's, 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 it's kind of challenging. It's hard to imagine the trolls are going to look exactly like that. Yeah. It, it always, that was the, the, or the thing that, that I was thinking about on this question is the, the contrast between trolls as they're presented in the books uh, the Lord of the Rings books, which is not really at all. Um, <clears throat> the trolls in the films who are turned into sort of living battering rams uh, and monsters. And then the trolls in the, um, uh, uh, in the Hobbit who are, as you mentioned, cutthroats and murderers. Although it's extremely easy to forget that that's the case be- as you listen to their conversation because they sound like, I don't know, um, working men discussing how to cook yes. their meal. They're so like, yes. s- so like surprisingly and superficially, I guess, civil and pedestrian in the way that they do it. And right. I'm just, I'm trying to imagine that the giant, uh, so-called cave troll from the, uh, from the, yes. uh, Chamber of Mazarbul scene in the Lord yes. of the Rings films sitting around with two of his friends talking about how to roast some dwarves. And it's like, uh, right. or like- Suggesting when he catches, like, to imagine that troll holding up, uh, you know, uh, Bilbo and suggesting that they catch several more and make a pie. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. You can't, you can't imagine that. I mean, I can't imagine that. Um, oh, by the way, I just, uh, I, I just wanted to th- throw out there that, that there's, there's an exp- there's an explicit reference back to the trolls from the Hobbit at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, and I don't mean, of course, when Frodo and uh, the other hobbits in Aragorn get to the place where the troll statues are. Um, but at the very beginning of the Shadow of the Past, Chapter 2. It's during the um, like, re- and this re- is the place... reporting of the news in the wider world, right? 
Yes, exactly. Trolls were were abroad, no longer dull-witted, but cunning and armed with dreadful weapons. That's the sentence about no longer dull-witted, I think, is very clearly a reference back to The Hobbit. So, like, trolls are abroad and not trolls like in The Hobbit anymore. These are, these are cunning and armed trolls because, of course, the trolls had no weapons uh, either. Nobody had any weapons. There was a complete, it was a completely unarmed combat between <laughs> Thorin and the trolls. Nobody has – you do not see a blade on either side. Um, so, uh, so yes, so even so, I think that that sentence shows, and it's in the context talking about you know elves are abroad, orcs are multiplying, things are getting bad. There are rumors about the Dark Tower. Oh, and and also there are trolls, but the trolls are different now. Don't expect Cockney trolls anymore because that's not what you're going to see if you meet a troll. Um, so that, that is, even Tolkien seemed to to feel the need to give that little cue, that little one sentence cue, uh, to his readers at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring that we're now in a different genre. You know that now don't expect to see the same trolls that we saw. So, are we going to see the same trolls that we saw? How we, now, now, you can say, like, okay, you know, that cave troll um, from the Fellowship of the Ring film... Okay, so like he was, uh, he was not very bright, you know. He was, uh, he was, he was not exactly like, uh, you know, he wasn't like the honor roll student uh, in in his little troll clan. But maybe we have like a, you know, a different species of trolls who are more articulate than he is, and we, you know, so they make them look different to be like a different and more intelligent breed of troll. You can distinguish them visually in order to try to make that distinction. But but yes, are they going to have that same? Are they going to have that cookery discussion? Um, you know, are they going to debate about? Are they going to suggest mincing the dwarves up and boiling them? I, you know, it's hard to imagine. It really is. Uh, you know, yeah, and and I think that could really slow down the pacing of the film. Um, that mm-hmm. I I can imagine a lot of people, especially people expecting a uh, um, um, Lord of the Rings prequel, saying, you know, wondering why why there was this five to ten minute interlude early on in the film, just when things started going with a discussion about how best to cook dwarves in a hobbit. Um, uh, and and I'm, I'm sort of wondering if what we're actually going to get is two things. Um, the, the, the discussion will be shortened to like two lines, and they'll be delivered in um, uh, some made-up troll language with subtitles uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, so that it doesn't come across as like some guys with some cockney accents uh, with uh, – uh-huh. with with bad um, computer animation laid over the top of them. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah. No, that, <laughs> that, that, I, I do like the uh, subtitles idea um, because that would be even funnier. I mean, I would laugh out loud, though I'm not sure I'd be laughing in quite the right way if, like, the bit about making a Hobbit pie were in subtitles. Like for some reason, I, I think I would find that 10 times funnier. Um, <laughs> but again, I'm not sure if I'd be laughing with them or laughing at them at that point. Um, yeah, it's, it's challenging. I could see it. I could, I could see an exchange between them. It wouldn't surprise me if the trolls speak, like if they speak English on screen, um, that wouldn't shock me to see. Um, in fact, I would kind of expect it, but, um, but it would be more of the, you know, like the way that we hear the orcs speaking English on screen, um, like when the orcs who capture Merry and Pippin, or the orcs who capture Frodo and Sam briefly in Mordor, you know, and we hear some exchanges among them. I would imagine the thing, but here's here's the issue. Here's uh, This is why I think that this scene is so, apart from the depiction of the trolls and the kind of 
the the consequences for the choices that they make as far as the overall tone of the story and the preservation of its comedy. Um, in addition, this is an important scene uh, for two reasons. Uh, thematically within the book, the troll scene is very important because this is the first moment. It's it's important for Bilbo more than anybody else because this is the first moment where this is Bilbo's first adventure. As as Tolkien goes back and says, you know, the 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 narrator in the Fellowship of the Ring again calls this Bilbo's first successful adventure. That it's kind of a big deal, but also. It's the first place where Bilbo is deliberately attempting to act as a burglar. He's trying to do what he was hired to do, and it's the first time he ever he ever tries that. Um, and you know, Bilbo being a burglar, you know, the 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 burglarious career of Bilbo is a, a, you know a, a major theme in the book, and this is the first place where it actually comes into action. And it's kind of a disastrous failure, but uh, but it's still a beginning as the narrator says that during that scene in the book. So, you know, one kind of question, and obviously we would talk about this more when we actually get around to talking about Bilbo is how much is that theme going to be emphasized in the film? Are we going to get a lot of the burglar stuff uh, in connection with Bilbo? Um, But this is, but so that's, it's it's one of two reasons why I think you can't just cut or totally sideline why you can, um, but why I think it would be, it's 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 important not to just uh, just totally shove the scene off to the side or give it ten seconds, because again it's it's a really important moment in the development. It's a really important step in the development of Bilbo's character in the book, and so there's at least the opportunity for them to do a similar thing with that in the film, and it'd be interesting to see that. But the second reason, of course, why they can't just blow this scene off completely is that you have the physical trolls. Even in the Lord of the Rings films, they were there. In the extended edition, anyway. In the cinematic version, they cut it. But in the extended edition of the films, uh, you remember when, uh, after Frodo has been stabbed and he comes around again, and there's Sam, you know, uh, uh, sort of hovering over him. He's like, look, it's Mr. Bilbo's trolls. And we get the, and we get the statues of the trolls. So we... You know, unless he's unless Peter Jackson's going to be inconsistent with his own film, which I don't think he will, we know that the trolls will be in this. We know that the trolls are going to turn to stone. In fact, we know the posture they're going to be standing and sitting in when they do it, because we've seen them already in in the Lord of the Rings films. Um, so, so clearly, this scene has to happen and can't just be tossed off. Therefore, these questions about tone and how they approach doing the scene, you know, the, the, sort of their whole style of adapting this becomes important. Because if, if they actually have to spend time on it uh, and they can't just sideline it, then they're going to have to make some choices about this. Um, what kinds of jokes are they going to be making? Whom are we supposed to be laughing at and how? Are there going to be cookery jokes? You know, are there, or, or, or if not exactly those jokes, are there going to be other jokes like that? Are the trolls going to be played as doofuses as comic relief? Scary, powerful doofuses, but still doofuses that we're supposed to laugh at or not and that i think is is uh, is 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 important especially since this is so early on in the adventure it helps to set the tone or at least to transition the tone really importantly and again thinking in terms of how they're going to be framing the films and everything um it leads to a kind of an extra challenge with that i think yeah I, I, it's the, the 
one of the things we were talking about last night when we were planning this episode is the fact that, uh, at least for the particular prediction question we had on this scene, and I think this probably generalizes the scene in general, I think this is one of the first topics where you and I really, neither of us has a strong feeling about how it's going to be done. Yes. We really have no yes. clue. Yeah, um, no, I don't have a feeling for this at all. Um because it's easy to see it going in a couple different directions. Um, if do we want to, especially with the placement of this of this incident in the trajectory of Bilbo's adventure? I feel like trajectory is my word of the day today. Anyway, yes. uh, with the, the placement of this of this uh, of this incident in Bilbo's trajectory. Um, it, it could be therefore taken in a bunch of different ways. This could be the place which transitions into uh, action. You know, which is sort of the first action scene, um, maybe not of the film, if we do, you know, Thran or something like that, you know, Gandalf and Dol Guldur. But anyway, certainly Bilbo's first action moment, mm -hmm. you would think. Um, so we could build up the action scene. You know, and basically, almost like uh, they did the action scene. I mean, there, there were a couple actions. Like you get a little bit of action scene at Weathertop, but let's face it, the Hobbits don't do a great job with that. You know, you, you think about the Hobbits – and their transition into action sequences in the th in the in the first film, um, you got them running around and hiding in the woods from the Black Riders and barely making the ferry. That's their first little action sequence. Then you've got and I might be forgetting things, but I don't think so. Then after that, you get uh, Weathertop, which again is they don't cover themselves with glory there. They don't really fight. So it's really not until Moria. It's really not until the fight or, uh, with the cave troll. That they get their first their first action when when even in the book Sam slays his first orc, um, so that 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 moment that sort of transitional moment as they begin to be part yeah I, I could imagine in the film uh, them basically taking the troll sequence here as a way to do that as a way to introduce Bilbo to uh, to the adventurous action world. Um, the, day, the world of danger that he's gone into, and thematically, I think that could work. So I could I could picture this. I could picture the troll sequence becoming a big, you know, uh, a big epic action sequence. Totally could picture that. Um, but I don't feel really strongly about that. I mean, I yeah. think there are many other ways that you could take it to because there are other things that, that you know that it's especially because of its position, not at the very beginning, but close to the beginning. There's so many different directions you can take with it, depending which. Uh, sort of overall theme they're really trying to develop at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that I would toss out is that we see in the trailer this this um, very brief glimpse of a group of dwarves rushing what appear to be three large figures, most likely trolls, on Moss. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of, which which to me, of course, is not definitive, but. It seems as though – it seems pretty clear that they're not going to do the dwarves wandering in one at a time and getting captured, which which is not surprising <laughs> because that would be no. kind of ridiculous and extremely slow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he even skips over it in the book. It's like pretty soon there were there were yeah. there were eleven of them. Yes. There. <laughs> um, yes. Trying to imagine that on film would be tedious. Yes. Um, and uh, and so there's no reason why they couldn't follow the the book closely from that point on. But to me, I think that's at least a strong piece of evidence that the the take they're taking on the scene is more more as an action sequence. Um, uh, and less as a, you know, comedic relief, sort of nice brief interlude. And let's observe the, um, the, uh, natural habits of 
trolls in the wild as they discuss how to prepare their meals, kind of, you know, like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Discovery Channel sort of uh, scene. <laughs> <laughs> right. Troll Discovery Ch- Channel and uh, and Cooking Network. Yeah, actually, food what it network. what it yeah, really the, is the, the Troll Food Network is like an episode of uh, Anthony Bourdain with trolls. <laughs> Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I, I don't see them moving in that direction either. Um, but I was going to say, you know, another thing, another function that this scene has in the books, it's kind of an understated function uh, within the story itself. That is, at the moment, um, in chapter in chapter uh, two of the Hobbit, it's not a major emphasis, but it's referred to later on. Um, that is, uh, the narrator points to this moment as an example of. Basically, the good-heartedness and faithfulness of the dwarves. Um, way forward, up in chapter 12, after Bilbo talks to Smaug, and, uh, and Smaug has sort of sowed in his mind the seeds of doubt about the faithfulness of the dwarves and whether they're actually going to pay him and whether they're just setting him up and can he really trust them. Um, back when that's happening, uh, um, the, the narrator recalls the troll scene and says that like, you know, basically that, you know, they're not heroes. Um, and you know, if you don't expect too much, it's okay. But he says that, you know, Thorin and company were basically decent people. Um, and they, they, they would, you know, they, they really intended to pay Bilbo very handsomely. And also they would have done everything they could for him. If he got in trouble as, as they did with the trolls, the narrator says back before they had any particular reason of being grateful to him. So at this point in the story, all of the dwarves still look down on him. They still think that he's useless uh, and a joke. Um, and yet they do legitimately risk their lives and almost lose their lives for the sake of coming to rescue him when they think that he's been captured by the trolls. So you could have – that is something that I could imagine uh, if I were making a film about this, that 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 we could play that up here, in which case – you don't want the trolls to be buffoons because you would want this to be like Bilbo is in serious danger and we, the dwarves are coming to rescue him um, showing that they are good hearted and noble, despite the fact that they don't have, they, they're, they're not, you know, sort of beholden to Bilbo in any way at this point. Um, they don't have any reason to be grateful to him and they probably do still in, even in the film think he's a joke. So, but that could be something that they could really develop. I think. Yep. Yeah, it is. Uh, man, it's. Int- I, I, gosh, I really don't know how they're going to do this scene. <laughs> yeah. No, me neither. Me neither. I, I. But see, at the same time, I think they're trapped because I think that this is one of the things that people are really going to be looking for. If the trolls in the Hobbit film are like the cave troll in the Chamber of Mizarbo, I, I, yeah. I, people are going to be outraged. People are going to be outraged. Yes. If there's no buffoonery. You know, like okay, okay, maybe we don't get a reference to Hobbit Pie, but 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 you but you gotta throw something, right? I mean, you get this this if they're not funny even a little bit, I think that's gonna seem like a loss. So if it's just turned into epic action sequence and like you know buddy movie material, um, then then I think you really lose something. Then that's a really 
significant choice when it comes to the overall tone of the film and their alteration of the tone of the book. So that's why I think this is such a, this is, this, it's one of the things that makes this such an interesting moment uh, to think about um, because it, it can really be pivotal, I think. Um, but because, but then again, if you do make them buffoons, if they're comic relief, then you lose at least much of the opportunity or at least you make it more difficult. Mm-hmm. To make this into, you know, a sort of a serious scene. Though again, Tolkien does both. Tolkien does both. It is they are genuinely in danger. Uh, 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 you know, comical discussions of cookery aside, the dwarves are actually going to be eaten by the trolls. You know, they are going to die. Yeah, uh, and they know it. So I mean, this there is, uh, there is real threat. There is real danger. This is an actual adventure uh, and a, and a deadly peril from which they're saved. Even though. It's funny almost throughout. So, you know, maybe they try to strike that balance, too, in the film. Maybe they attempt to, to have it both ways like Tolkien did. Um, it, that, would be, that would be challenging. In some ways, I think, more challenging on, in, in film than in a book. But, uh, but maybe that's what they'll try. I think it's doable. I think they should, I think they should try. Yeah, because you could always – I mean, like, the, the, the sort of the cop-out way to do this is that, like, they're buffoons until they get really mad and then they just turn into, like, monstrous killing machines and then the action sequence is on. Like, that would be one way to do it, which would be relatively simple. Um, but uh, in its way, that would be kind of – that would be kind of disappointing. I mean, again, even just the fact that the dwarves have weapons puts the whole thing into a different context. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that this is going to be an armed combat um, – which is at least in that way more like the combat with the tra- with the cave troll in the chamber of Mazarbal than it is like the scuffle with the with the trolls that Thorin has in the book. Um, already, that's a that's a that's a significant tonal decision, you know, stylistic decision uh, that I think is going to have consequences. And so, I, so I think that we do have that because you're right. That scene in the trailer of the dwarves, it, it it does. It's a little hard to tell, but it does look like. I think that that does sort of suggest that they're they're going to be at least a little bit moving in this direction. Yep, I agree. I agree. Um, okay, well, we should, should we get on to our question? Yeah, because we should. We're kind of dancing around uh, some of our options a little bit here, so we might as yes. well spell it out to make the terms clear. Okay. Um, uh, all right. So. The prediction question of the week, which is related to the trolls, is – and addresses this question, uh, I think, directly. Uh, how will the trolls' defeat and subsequent transformation to stone be portrayed on screen? Option A <clears throat> is, uh, as always, the optimistic option. Gandalf will accomplish it <laughs> precisely as he does in the book through sheer cleverness – Yes, that means we will get to see Ian McKellen hiding in the bushes and throwing his voice at the trolls. Option B is it will happen via epic Lord of the Rings film-style action sequence, a la Chamber of Mazarbal. The dwarves, with Gandalf's help, will fight off the trolls long enough for the sun to rise. And we're basically – we're using the – we mean this to be sort of generally via action sequence – um, right. So if it turns into like a chase scene, the dwarves, um, um, uh, you know, hit the troll's toe and, and distract him and run away, and then the trolls are running, um, uh, and then they dawn happens and they turn to stone while they're running, which it's not what their posture looks like as stone, but whatever. Um, right. But basically, 
via via some form of action. Basically, the trolls are delayed from killing and eating the the dwarves via action sequence as opposed to via Gandalf being clever. Right. Option C is Gandalf will accomplish it via magic, directly or indirectly. And my little aside is a decidedly un-Tolkien-like use of magic at that. Um, right. <laughs> um, right. I don't think it's entirely implausible that Gandalf will will intervene via magic uh, in this uh, scene, that that's possibly how they will they will do this. And so obviously there's some potential overlap between B and C. And basically what we mean by B is action sequence with no magic. By yeah, C we mean action. yeah, by C we mean there could be could be an action sequence, but that at the end the trolls defeat will be accomplished via magic. And maybe that means Gandalf blasts them with a magic sun um uh spell or something or maybe it's indirectly that he somehow like uh entangles them in some weeds and then the sun comes up. But basically magic. Option right. D is uh, the trolls will fall prey to their own stupidity. Basically, the dwarves will escape pursuit, and the trolls, crestfallen at their loss and utterly incapable of telling time, will forget about the approaching sunrise, and will just basically maybe will will it get like a a uh, um uh, like a, a sort of a, sh- a last little shot. Um, we'll see the dwarves kind of resuming their journey, and then we'll go back to a last shot of the the trolls standing around befuddled, and the sun will pop up, and they'll be like, ah, oh, crap. And then turn to stone. <clears throat> right. Okay. So, so here, here, here are my thoughts about these. Is that for, so? Two things that I would want to mention. I think, for instance, uh, that option D is like the purest's second line of defense. Uh, that is to say, I think that option D is the one which is is the second most like the the way it happens in the book. Uh, because, of course, what does end up destroying the trolls in the book is not only their own stupidity, uh, but their own greed and their own divisiveness. If they could just shut up and get along with each other, if they could work together better um, and not be constantly, constantly at each other's throats and squabbling with each other, they, Gandalf's plan would not have worked. And they would not have been exposed to the sun. So they are really responsible, although Gandalf instigates it on purpose and they they are destroyed as a consequence of his plan. Nevertheless, it's their own natures. It's their own choices that lead to their destruction. So so D is kind of is, is I, I, to me, it's like the purest backup uh, to this. The uh, the 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 option A and basically, I see I see the central difference between A and D being the intervention of Gandalf. Are we going to get Ian McKellen Im- imitating a troll's voice and getting them fighting, um, or is it just or is that not going to happen? Because that's trying to imagine that in film, trying to imagine Ian McKellen sitting and imitating the voice of a troll from the bushes. Um, it's just Gandalf. Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. Gandalf certainly in the Lord of the Rings films. <laughs> has more dignity than that. You know, like it's hard to imagine, uh, you know, Ian McKellen's Gandalf doing that. Um, so are we going to see that? Are we, or, or, or some other version, I would count a as correct. If, if, you know, some Gandalf's cleverness, like he just not, not, not through magic and not through physical force, um, but does something devious, which leads to the downfall of the trolls. Now option C 
the reason we included option C is that it's I, – I, I actually consider option C plausible, that is Gandalf's magical intervention, because if we – you know, if, say, the filmmakers are thinking, well, you know, the synopsis of the destruction of the trolls is Gandalf rescues them from the trolls. Okay, so if we start with the premise, we want to show Gandalf coming and rescuing them from the trolls. All right, how do we do this? Do we do this by having him imitating a troll's voice from the bushes? Uh, No, that's kind of dorky. I don't think that would work very well on film. So what's their fallback position? If they want to have Gandalf rescue them, well, Gandalf is a wizard. Maybe he does something magic. You know, maybe they want to kind of elevate him and his power and show him doing something here to, to, uh, uh, you know, so that he's influencing the scene not by... Uh, not by cleverness, but by power. So I can imagine that. Um, I'm not going to go with C, but I can. Uh, but but that's why I think it a plausible suggestion. All right. What do you think? Are you ready We're, to commit, Dave? Uh, not quite yet. I don't know, man. It's uh, it's so tough. And I think one thing I want to just to clarify on option D. Um, option D doesn't exclude action or cleverness or magic but basically what we're saying is that what will happen with option d is that gandalf uh, through a combination of gandalf and the dwarves working together they will escape but they won't actually but 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 they'll they will only accomplish their escape and they will they will be gone from the scene by the time that the the trolls turn to stone which is now what happens uh, options a b and c basically mean that the dwarves and gandalf are still standing around in the proximity of the the uh, trolls when they turn to stone um right. so right. yeah so it's like basically it's it's you know the, the the point of this is sort of if you when we watch the films and ask the question what causes the the destruction of the like what is the cause of the destruction of the trolls if the answer is gandalf tricked them then that's a if the answer is you know they were physically stymied they were fought or you know whatever chased well like it's you know it was it was through physical actions that led to their destruction then that's b if it's gandalf's magic it's c and if it's the trolls own stupid fault it's d um so here's one 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 possibility that I hadn't considered that that actually is confounding our answers. Suppose it looks in uh uh it looks um in in sort of execution like a in other words we get the ventr- Gandalf ventriloquism type voice throwing act but the suggestion on film is that he is accomplishing that through mu- through magic. <laughs> Then it's C. Yes, I agree. I if agree. we're gonna if we're gonna superimpose magic upon the ventriloquism thing, then it's then it's clearly C. No okay. questions. No questions. This this though, of course, I certainly think that of all the questions we've asked so far, this is the one the answer the correct answer to which could be most hotly debated when the time comes. Yes. But we'll 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 we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yes, I concur. <laughs> um all right, are you ready to make a final answer? Yes, I think I am. I think think I am as well. Okay. I'm going to go with D. I'm going to go with D. I'm going to go with the troll's own stupid fault. They are not fought or chased or, like, run away from into submission. Gandalf doesn't zap them or deceive them through magic. And we're not going to get mere trickery. I think 
that what is going to lead to their destruction is going to be, it's, I think it's going to be their own stupid fault. <laughs> I think that that's how we're going to get the buffoonery angle in there, that, that they can, they can make it basically instead of the way that I suggested before, that is saying, have the, um, have the trolls be buffoons and then like get angry and then the gloves come off, right? And then it becomes an action sequence. You could do it. You could flip it and do it the other way around. Mm -hmm. That is to say, have uh, it be kind of, you know, some indication of buffoonery, have there be a, you know, sort of a dramatic scene, which then, you know, and then, and which then kind of ends comically um, with, with the dwarves undoing themselves. Yep. I'm going with that one. I think I I like that answer because it's uh, I think it's true in spirit to what happens in the book, even if in in yeah. sort of details it's a little different. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm trying to decide if I like it enough to pick it. Um, all right. <laughs> I think I think I'm actually going to go with uh, I'm going to go with C. Believe it or not, um, not C. I, oh, yes. Wow. Well, I, I just I'm surprised. My mind is drawn to this notion of doing the scene the way – making – doing – doing essentially superficially the scene from the book but but adding the implication that it's magic. So not not having sort of like, you know um, – mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I Basically, my thinking is that if you were to do that scene um, on film the way it is in the book – that viewers will naturally uh, uh, Im naturally infer that magic is taking place because you know ventriloquism and voice throwing already looks kind of like magic. So I think that right. I think they'll do something. I don't think it'll happen exactly the way it is in the book, where where there's this sort of long drawn out debate between the trolls. But uh, but basically, it'll be somewhat similar to what you just suggested, where um, the trolls are kind of these somewhat malevolent seeming beings. And that there'll just be a brief moment where Gandalf does something to confuse them, enabling the dwarves to escape, and or and 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 actually confuse them and causing them to be delayed till dawn, you know. But I think right. that he'll accomplish it through magic. Um, okay. So okay. I think. See, I mean, I, I can see this. I mean, I can see them. Uh, I I can imagine them going in that direction to want to because you know they have at times past you know in the films amplified something that was already there with at least the implication of magic. Like I'm thinking for instance here of Gandalf's appearance at the battle of Helm's deep, right? Mm -hmm. When the, you know, he, him and his army charged down that improbably steep slope and, uh, uh, and then he's like, you know, shining with white light and, and, you know, so it like, and the implication is that his power uh, is overwhelming uh, the, uh, the, the orcs there, yeah, of course, it's, you know, it's not, it, he makes a comment about it in the book, Gandalf does, after the Battle of Helm's Deep, when, you know, when Theoden's like, mighty are you in wizardry, Gandalf, and he's like, well, maybe, but I haven't shown it yet, right, and it's, I, I didn't do anything but ride my horse around really fast. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. It's actually, all the, so, all the credit belongs to Shadowfax, but they gave it to, to Gandalf. Right, 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 <laughs> right, and to, and to Arkenbrand and the men of Westfold for, for, yes. like, you know, marching through the night, he says. But still, yeah, I mean, that's – but but nevertheless, to render that visually, to render the the sort of dramatic um, uh, intervention of Gandalf in the battle, sort of to make that more visually powerful, they did it, – like, it wasn't really clear what he was magically accomplishing exactly. But, um, but anyway, I, I mean, I think that they do um, – 
I think that they do uh, they do definitely amplify it that way. So I can imagine. I can imagine. I don't. I don't. I know it's that's that's not my prediction, but uh, but I can I can see it. I can. It's see not it. completely implausible anyway. The, 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 all these answers, it's really the only one exactly. that seems implausible exactly. is a that it will be done exactly as it is in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and watch that be right. I, I hope Mark Fisher picks it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. I was going to say I won't stop Mark Fisher from <laughs> from picking it and coming up with a completely compelling argument as to why it must be that way. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I, I hope so. I Me hope too. So. Yes, I really do. I, I would like to see Ian McKellen hiding in the bushes, and then stepping yeah. forth and saying, "Don, take you all." It's not. I, I, I can. I can definitely see Ian McKellen delivering that line. Mm-hmm. You know, "Don, take you all and be stoned to you." Uh, I that could work. That so, could work. But you know, we'll what see. will I, he be I doing when he so. delivers it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm excited. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, good. All right. Well, I have to run to class. Yes. Uh, but uh, this, has me, been, uh, this has been a fun discussion, and as you know, we'll be definitely coming back to this overall theme, um, thinking of the, the the ways that they're going to be adapting particular scenes or particular characters or particular aspects of particular characters in order to contribute to the overall tone and sort of the implications that those choices will have for the overall tone of the film. So we'll definitely be returning to this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, throughout our discussions here. Yep. Um, very quickly, I just want to wrap up a few things. Uh, first, I want to thank our analysts, as always. Um, I want to thank yes. John Bartolo and the Lonely Mountain Band for letting us use their music to add some color to the episodes. I want to tell listeners to keep the comments coming. <clears throat> um, I want to subtly encourage them, uh, if they can discipline themselves to do it, to to comment on the Mythgard page directly whenever possible. I, I, not to say that we won't read the Facebook page or we don't like it, or, and same thing for Twitter. I think Twitter's kind of orthogonal. Twitter's sort of for short messages. But uh, but we really would like to get a lot of uh, discussion on the Mythgard page directly. And it's easier for us when we're revisiting comments to go back to the Mythgard page. So I want to yeah, encourage yeah, people, yeah. like, you know, go comment on the Mythgard page if you can. If you're using Twitter... Send your tweets to both of us. That's Tolkien Prof and Dave Kale, D A V E K A L E, and use the Riddles in the Dark hashtag. Um, yes. And then finally, thank you, listeners, for listening. So, uh, excellent. Yeah. I agree. That's right. Okay. So, thanks for listening, everybody, and Godspeed. <laughs> <laughs>